you. It's so good to see you. Yeah, good to see you too. What's up, everyone? And welcome to another episode of What's Up, Woody, the podcast where it's time to have a real conversation. My name is Woody Woodbeck, your host. My guest this week is arguably one of the most handsome men on Bravo TV. A lot of my listeners would agree. <laughs> and he's been bringing us entertainment, joy, and lots of fun for seven seasons of Summerhouse. And he's back with a new season airing right now on Bravo TV. And of course, you can watch it next day on Peacock. Welcome, Carl, to the show. How are you, my friend? Thank you for the introduction, Woody. Great to meet you. It's Great good to, to meet here. you, too. You know, it's funny. I We met um, several years back uh, in passing, but... Um, it was at one of those fabulous, truly original uh, <laughs> Christmas holiday parties yep. that they would have. Um, yep. uh, we were both very different people at that time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably, uh, probably had a few cocktails in. Um, yeah, but I was going to say that there's several truly holiday parties. I'm not sure I fully uh, remember from several <laughs> years ago, but. <laughs> <laughs> so true you and me both <laughs> but we uh you know what i what i took away from that party is and what i liked about going to those is when you meet you meet these people um you know we work for the same company and i've done a lot of other shows i haven't worked on your show but when you meet people and you watch the show and you're like oh he's legitimately just the same nice guy that i've seen on the show and now i met him in person and, I, and that really made a lasting impression to me because i work with so much cast with producing these shows Sometimes people show up, put on, um, and sometimes they don't. And I, I appreciated that about you from from the jump. So I will Thank tell you, you that. Thank you for saying that. I, I, I mean, listen, I've definitely had my my ups and downs, uh, you know, on on the show, off the show. But you know, I think it's always, you know, I've always enjoyed meeting people, you know, in in person and in real life, just because I do feel like no matter what you might see, sometimes you know there is you know kind of a, a genuine, kind hearted person behind the you know, the body here. So yeah, I've, you know, I've definitely always enjoyed meeting people and trying to, you know, prove to them I'm not quite as horrible as maybe sometimes <laughs> that, that they see on TV, but you know, we're human. Yeah. Facts, facts that we are. And you know what I wanted to ask you, where are you originally from? So I was actually fun fact. I don't know how many people know this, but I was born in Chicago. Okay. But I moved to Pittsburgh when I we were five years old. I was five years old. So I, I'm I'm a Pittsburgher because that's just most of what my my memory is from growing up. But I, you know, am also a Chicago guy. Um, I, you know, have very little memories of those those days when I was growing up. But it's definitely a big part of you know my family and our life. But my parents are divorced, but they also live in Pittsburgh, and I still have a lot of friends and family in Pittsburgh. Right. Your mom is lovely. I know that she's been on the show and I, I've seen and she's uh, going to be on tonight's episode as well. Oh, amazing. So. I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch. Yeah, she just seems like a, a lovely person. Now I know where you get it from. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, like, what was, what were you like as a kid? Um, it's funny you ask that. I I hear I've been told stories when I was very young. I was just a pain in the ass. Um, you know, I was notorious in our house for breaking into the refrigerator late at night or climbing up onto things and getting food. I, I was always hungry as a kid. So my parents actually at one point had to put locks on certain like pantries and cabinets and refrigerator. And I still broke those locks actually to get into the, the fridge at night. So definitely a pain in the butt. I screamed a lot. I was a, a loud screamer kid. Um, but I think, you know, once I, got through the screaming ages was just so I was always that kid with the Kool-Aid stain around his mouth 
um, nice as can be smiling all the time uh, and probably would, you know, tap you on the shoulder and be like, Hey, can I get a dollar? Um, I was notorious <laughs> for asking for money for my parents, friends when we were younger. always a hustler. I take it <laughs> always, always because there was like, you know, we'd be at like a baseball field or a soccer field or a football field. And all the parents would be watching my, my brother would play. And I was, you know, kind of the younger um, sibling and there was always a concession stand and I would always like beg and plead to get money so I could go get, you know, a hot dog or get some candy at the concession stand. <laughs> was, was there ever a point like growing up where you're like, you know what, I'm going to be on TV when I get older. The, there is, yeah. I mean, I think growing up in Pittsburgh, our, the, the school district that I was a part of called upper St. Clair, they actually had a local access channel. So growing up in our neighborhood, you'd put on channel 19 and you, you would actually watch kids from high school who were, you know, calling the high school basketball game, or they were doing like a news thing. And I was always drawn to that. And I enrolled in that class in high school. Um, and there was actually, a, I think a high school superlative is most likely to be on TV. And I believe that the, I, I won that. Um, that is so I random. <laughs> I, I can't remember if that was in eighth grade or if that was in high school, but I'll have to pull that up. Um, but no, I mean, I, I worked, I not worked. I went to classes in the school for production and camera work and people hosted the morning news. Uh, I was on student council and I would always get in front of the, up in front of the class and give speeches. And I'd go to the school board and tell them what's going on at the high school. And I was always comfortable and wanting to be kind of in front of groups and camera and the lights and stuff. And, you know, wanted to go to college to study TV and film. So it was in college when I realized, you know, sorry, when I was in high school, I found out what college would be the best fit for me and which was Syracuse mm -hmm. and Syracuse, you know, having one of the best schools in the country for broadcast journalism, television, radio, film, you know, PR and media. So I really wanted to go there because that's, that's what actually what I wanted to do is work in TV. So I'd say around high school, but I, had I told you it was going to be on Bravo or a reality show, I mean, I would have said you're crazy. <laughs> That's funny. So did you end up going to Syracuse? I did. I went to Syracuse. I uh, got there the year after, if any of your listeners are basketball fans, but Carmelo Anthony mm -hmm. um, won the national championship. I visited school the next day after they won the national championship to see if I wanted to go there. And I remember looking at my mom and seeing like there was literally kids stumbling home from their houses from the night before. <laughs> there was couches burning in the streets. There was empty kegs and like beer cans. I mean, the place was just like it looked like a bomb went Ransacked, off. Ransacked, like, right? Yeah, like post Mardi Gras. <laughs> um, but it was because they won that. I was like, Mom, I want to go to school here. And fortunately, <laughs> had the grades and you know, kind of had to get some financial aid stuff to work out. But yeah, Syracuse is where I went. It's that's such a small world because I wanted to go to Syracuse. I started in radio when I was 13 and I wanted to go there and I didn't have the grades to go there. <laughs> and so I ended up going to Morrisville uh, State University, which is like 30 yep. minutes from Syracuse. I spent a lot of time at that carousel mall. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I know that area very well. So the, uh, that uh, that crazy party life was is very well known to me because we did we went to Syracuse the party or we partied on like our campus hill or we went to Colgate which wasn't far from yep. there either so yeah, we, Ham we spent Hamilton. a lot of time yep we spent a lot of time up there that's that's I funny went, yeah I used to go to the I had a friend who played hockey at Colgate and we'd go to the jug at at Colgate it was just like an epic epic shithole bar in Colgate that, I wonder if we ever ran into each other when did you graduate Maybe. Uh, I graduated in 2007 
Okay, so you're a, little, you're a little behind me. I'm a little bit ahead of you by a few years. So I, I wrote you uh, majorly because I've been wanting to talk to you, but um, also, you know, you and I share very similar stories. And I'm, I'm going to say this, and I've been very lucky and blessed that my podcast has been doing so well. And I recently shared my one year of sobriety on social media, and I celebrated that. Congratulations. Um, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, March 4th was my date. Um, so awesome. I, and I really, you know, wanted to make a promise to myself to keep that very close to me, uh, to protect myself during my first year. Um, as you know, uh, this process is not easy. Um, <clears throat> and so one of the things I thought about, and I admire immensely about you is being able to share that story on a show that's watched by so many people um, and live in a house in a place that for some could very much so be a trigger. Um, and all the elements of that could be a trigger. So uh, first want to give you your flowers and say, congratulations. Thank I know you. you're, you're a little over two years now. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and I thought we could walk through this and talk a little bit about this together because, you know, our journey um, is something that not a lot of people understand. Uh, and I have learned that a lot. Uh, normies, as they call them in the program, um, don't really understand why we just can't stop or it's not as simple as just shutting it off or whatever the case may be. But I'm I'm not in the business of obviously telling your story. So what I would like to hear from you is a little bit about when you realized maybe that you had a problem um, and what uh, what that journey from there on out became for you? Yeah, great question. And again, congratulations on your one year. You. Um, that's an amazing accomplishment. So thank you. Definitely be very proud of that um, and very inspiring to hear that. So I, I love being able to talk more openly, um, you know, about my journey and I thank you for the opportunity to do so. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think I grew up in an environment, family, family was very important to us, you know, but drinking was very prevalent in our family. Um, you know, I remember vividly just, it was, that's what people did in our family on Friday, you know, at four thirty, five o'clock, we had happy hour at the house. Um, so I was always around a lot of drinking, but as I got into high school, I, I didn't really drink a lot in high school. I remember the first time I actually tried to drink, I like immediately spit out the beer and was like, this is disgusting. Um, and then I powered through and I ended up just being sick the entire night. So I remember just like having this weird feeling about alcohol in general. It wasn't until I really went to college and just, you know, I started drinking. I was in fraternity life. Um, you know, binge drinking was just what you did. You'd wake up on a Saturday morning for a football game and a tailgate. People literally get a 30 pack of beer for themselves, not for anybody else. And that's what you drank. And like, you, it just it was what you did. And it wasn't until I think I really moved to New York city when I was in my late twenties where, you know, I, I was out of college. I was professional. I was making good money, but it just, it opened all these other new doors, especially with New York, with the clubs and the late nights, because things closed later on, you know, 4am in New York. Um, where I just got kind of sucked into the kind of the scene and the culture here of partying all the time. And, you know, I, I, I would honestly say it wasn't until watching myself back on TV that I actually realized that there might be a problem. Mm -hmm. um, but, it you know, it wasn't lost on me that, you know, my bro I grew up, my brother was an addict. Um, sadly, he struggled with, you know, addictions. And I'd always had questioned maybe if something was 
awry with me, but I was like, no, I'm fine. If he's the one who's got the problem and that wasn't necessarily a fair assessment. I really, I have an uncle who has addiction. I have another family member who has addiction. So it was something that was just kind of staring at me in the face. And I don't think it was really until watching like the show back and seeing like, you know, Saturday night, I'm out till four in the morning and they show me coming home. And I don't even remember that or, you know, veins are popping out of my neck when I'm yelling and screaming and just being witness to your behavior. Not a lot of people have footage of their nights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it was, it's hard to relive that and watch it as it is. But then when you're acting, you're watching yourself act in a way that you're not proud of, it made me think a lot. So I would say towards the end of the summer of 2019, I had expressed to a friend of mine that I was really just lost. You know, I was drinking and partying all the time, just floundering. You know, I was struggling a lot. And she was like, I think you should go to this Tony Robbins seminar. And I had recently, at that time, Tony Robbins had a, a documentary on Netflix called I Am Not Your Guru. And it's a really interesting documentary. And I'd heard a lot about Tony and his work, but obviously also thought it was kind of like a cult, kind of a little bit like Kool-Aid and kind of weird. But my friend said, listen, just give it a try. It was a seven day seminar in West Palm Beach. So I went to Tony Robbins in December of 2019. And that was like the first real time where I was like really inspired. I felt connected. I had a lot of anger and resentment towards family members and people in my life, but I didn't drink for that entire seven day span of this seminar for Tony Robbins. And as during that, I really found a lot of like just felt more at peace with things, felt more inspired, wanting to make changes, wanting to find a kind of a new lease on life. Um, I'd say, yeah, that was like really the turning point. It was when I, but again, it wasn't like all of a sudden I'm now sober. Mm-hmm. From December, 2019, it took me, you know, over a year and a half to finally go, okay, like I've got to like really get help because I'm not doing well. Right. And a catalyst probably from that and from what I've read about you was the passing of your brother. I know that that 100%. took a, lar- a, a hard toll on you. Um, and, you know, I think we at times were in denial in a lot of ways, you know, like maybe we do have a problem. And I even remember, I think, admitting it to my sister that like, hey, maybe I might there might be something wrong here. And then I went through that phase of denial and I saw all the signs. So very much so like you, it took me a minute to get there. I started in meetings and I've had many ins and outs of the rooms and um, trying to figure out what that path looked like. Um, and it wasn't until, you know, a little over a year ago that I made that decision that um, this was best for me. And I think, you know, tell me a little bit about, you know, the, the grasping that rock bottom and realizing, okay, this is a real thing. I've lost my brother now to probably something related to that from what I've read. And and please tell me if I'm wrong. I don't want to misspeak on that. No, you're, you're, you're doing great. Thanks. So, you know, um, what was it when you, when you hit that point that really you decided, okay, this is, this is enough. Cause I know what for me was, it was life or death. I think it came to truthfully. And that's probably yeah. the first time I'm saying that. No. And I, I think that's when you're brutally honest and you think you're, you're inspiring me by telling me how, you know, deep and dark it was, but you've been able to overcome and you're on the other side of it, which I think is important for people to hear. Um, you can get hit a really low, dark moment of your life, but you can still overcome that and look yourself in the mirror and make changes. So, you know, it is, it's an unfortunate thing, but I think a lot of people do need to kind of hit that rock bottom. Um, you know, my brother passing was just a huge shock to my system. 
um, you know, I'd experienced the loss. I found out while we were filming season five of Summer House, you know, I'd literally the cameras are rolling in the house. I get a phone call from my mom in that morning. So I, it was something I never really expected to face so publicly, but, you know, I think the higher power has got a, a, you know, stronger message here. It was something that I think ultimately was going to help me and ultimately help the audience who watches Summer House. I've had thousands and thousands of messages from fans and audience who've connected to my brother's passing. They have a sibling or they've experienced something like that. And initially I was getting so much praise and support for how I was handling the loss of my brother and how I was going about it. Cause I had been practicing some sobriety and trying to kind of come to grips with my addictions. And after my brother had passed, I found myself going back into this same old ways I'd been doing, which is drinking a lot by myself, isolating, um, you know, doing cocaine, being, you know, just not making really healthy choices whatsoever and tr trying to grieve the loss of my brother while participating in some of these behaviors and isolating. And it was just a very dark path. And I hit my lowest of low. It was January 6th, actually, which is a pretty, you know, interesting day in history now because of the Capitol and all that. And Truthfully, I was actually watching all that stuff go down on the news and I was drinking by myself and and just again to drink myself so dark and deeply that I, you know, honestly thought I wasn't going to be around anymore. Yeah. Um, and that was my low point. And I just I woke up from that and was like, I can't live like this anymore. I, I literally cannot do this anymore. And I haven't turned back since that moment. But yeah, I mean, it's everybody kind of I think needs to kind of get to that low, low point. Unfortunately, I or I'm sorry, fortunately, I never crashed a car. I didn't punch someone in the face that I shouldn't have. I didn't, you know, do anything super out like outlandishly crazy, but I did really do something crazy for myself. And it was a scary thing. And I scared a lot of friends and family, but I, I had to hit that point, I think, to really to turn it around. Um, but now the way I look at it is my brother's kind of my higher power. And he's someone that is protecting me and looking out for me. So it's given me a lot of strength and a lot of confidence to continue to pursue a sober lifestyle and continue to try and be open and honest about my experiences. And the whole idea is to actually help other people right. and share that, you know, kind of message that you can overcome, you can persevere, you can, you know, deal with difficult situations and still have a pretty fruitful life. You know, what I find so interesting about it was for me, and just the asking for help was the scariest part of it all, because I think that I, and I'm sure you can relate to this. We always, especially as, you know, addicts in some way, we, we present with ego, right? So like, we have our shit together. You're not going to tell me otherwise, like I'm good. And like the last thing I want to look like is weak or ask somebody for help in any way, shape or form. So I think that for years, I just went through the motions of life where and working and being present in whatever way I was when really I was completely and utterly lost behind closed doors. And I, and that was the hardest part. Um, you know, uh, something that I found really interesting is someone recently said to me, um, Oh, you got a year under your belt. Isn't it, isn't it easier now? And I said, no, actually no. it's not. It's, it's not it, in any way. Shape or form. <laughs> yeah. And, and I found that so interesting. And I think that when I tell people that story, they're, they, kind of have this weird look like that's a surprise to them that that answer but truthfully this is something and i've said it many a times and you could probably talk a little bit about this is like my choosing not to drink is a decision i make every day and i literally have to make that decision every day 
for my better being. And I think that I just like the person so much that I am today sober. And it's the best version of myself I've ever been. So I am sure that um, to everyone else, that doesn't seem like a normal response. But to me, and I know that this is a decision I will make every day for the rest of my life. It, yeah, it's it's a constant effort. It's a daily reminder. Um, you know, I think when you break it down into kind of small chunks, it's a lot more achievable. Uh, and, you know, that's the things I've learned in going to meetings and working with sponsors and reading more is, you know, I don't get too caught up in the future. It's really just being present and maintaining, you know, that strength and just like, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink today. And I've been fortunate that, you know, yeah, I, I do daily. I was on a meeting this morning at 8 a.m. and, you know, connecting and hearing other people's stories and you're inspired by other people and you you find a lot of relate, you know, relatability with folks that you didn't really know that were there. It's, you know, by kind of closing one door of drinking and opening the door of not, it, the amount of people on the other side has been just amazing. I don't think I realized how, uh, again, the community of people who don't drink or have sober or addiction, that continues to grow. And the amount of successful, interesting, smart, genuinely kind, great people I've met in these meetings is like staggering. I just had this envision of, I always envision like going to a meeting or going to some of these support groups is like just haggard people off the street, really rough shape. And, you know, they won't relate to anything I'm dealing with and I won't relate to what they're, you know, all this, but I was completely surprised. You know, I know it, it might take some time to find that right group, but what's been so amazing is knowing that I'm not the only person not trying to drink today. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not trying to use cocaine today. Like there's a lot of people that I've been really able to connect and, and find that I just never expected. Now I've lost friends too. I mean, I've definitely, you know, like you said, it, it doesn't get any easier because as you continue to grow into this lifestyle, you know, your choices and you're, you're more confident with boundaries and you're a lot, little bit more emotionally sensitive and you got to protect that. So I've, you know, said, I say no all the time now, you know, I prioritize myself. I have had to let people down. I've had to disappoint people, but that's actually what's ultimately best for me. Um, and some people's true colors do show too. And you make changes and it's very polarizing. It can, it can be challenging for friendships, relationships, you name it. So it's not, it's a relatable thing when someone gets sober to have to deal with kind of that next phase. It, the first year is like just trying not to drink each day. Mm. Now you get to it. Second year is like, okay, like I'm not drinking each day, but I want to continue to grow in my friendships and my relationships and really be more comfortable as this person. And I still want to be social, but I, you know, need to find the right tools that I can feel confident in those environments. Um, I, I've been, I've been fortunate to get a lot of practice on TV, but you know, it's, I've had to kind of face it just head on, you know, it's probably some people question if being in the house is the best thing for me, but it's still very relatable. People go to the Hamptons and don't drink. Yeah. Some people, people go out in the Hamptons all the time and don't drink. And I'm just continuing to trying to show folks. I hope that there is a side that you can have a good time and not have to drink all day. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing is, is that you got to do what's right for you. Right. And I think that's the other thing is, is I've said so many times, like I'm learning a new way of being selfish and I, yeah. and it sounds weird. Right. But like, it really is like just trying to determine what's best for us in a different kind of way. Um, and, and I think walking through this path of sobriety in that way, um, 
is like the best way to look at it. Like you're just trying to do the next right thing for yourself and how to grow and how to be best. And and truthfully, in my shoes, like I feel like this has been such a spiritual journey just as much as it's been the sobriety journey for me because I'm just discovering new things about myself. And, and even being able to talk about it with you and on a public platform is a huge step. Uh, and I think that, but I realize the power in sharing your story with people um, is ultimately a gift that we get, right? They talk about fellowship and they talk about sharing the message in the program. And, and that's why these kind of things are important. So I, you know, I wonder what, is important to you about sharing your story with the world and why and why is that important to you i mean i think it's important i think just to to the honesty being honest being authentic being true i think is sometimes gets lost in the shuffle maybe on reality tv and i'm i'm very proud of i think what summer house has become and what it's been built on and which is really just pure authenticity and you know, you kind of see what you get from us. I mean, there's cameras in the house, so you can't hide. Like it's, it's, it's us, like that's who we are. And, you know, I've, I think it's been, it's been awesome to be a part of a program that allowed us to be really vulnerable and tell some of these deep, dark secrets and things I quite frankly, never thought I'd have to face on reality TV have come up on summer house. And yeah, it's, it's definitely been, been tough, but you know, I think for me, I, when I originally started thinking more about being honest publicly about what I'm dealing with, I was inspired by other athletes, actually, not that I'm an athlete, like a, an NBA player, but I read an article from Kevin Love, who's an NBA player who had talked about, about his anxiety and depression. And that was like mind boggling to me. This guy is a seven foot tall NBA player. He's an all-star. He's an NBA champ. And this guy is struggling with mental health stuff and i'm like wow it took a lot of balls to step up and say that but it was someone like him that really opened my mind that okay like he just inspired a bunch of men or guys who play basketball and there's not a lot of i feel like men need more of that kind of information and conversation because obviously men are more stoic they're more closed off tough it out be a man don't bitch and moan don't show your emotion and all that stuff kind of it was something i've always thought about because I at a young age we went to family therapy uh, I had issues at home and I was always like never talked about it and then you just bottle all this stuff up so I want to give a voice to other people who you know, watch the show and obviously a lot of women watch Bravo and if they can be more supportive to their partners and their relationship by watching what I've overcome or what I'm dealing with that's a huge plus um, mm -hmm. if a young male watching you know summer house is just you know thinks he parties a little bit too much or struggling with his drinking like if he can find some connection to what how i've overcome things and can improve his life that's what i want to do like and i think in that second year or third year of sobriety is really about acts of service and giving back um you know not that i'm perfect and that's the one thing i i struggle with because it there's like this martyrdom that kind of comes with sobriety like that i think i'm perfect and i judge people and sure i've had my moments but it's I'm not perfect. I'm still, you know, working on things. I still have my emotions. I still get angry. I still get frustrated. I still get sad. But it's allowed me just to show up in life for myself and for other people I love in the best way I possibly can. Yeah. Um, but it takes work. It's it's hard work. But I think the biggest thing for me is just to show that there is light at the end of the tunnel. And I've had some really dark moments, a lot of them, but on TV. 
but here I am sitting, I've been able to, to rise above. And I think, you know, hopefully give back and just inspire young men, inspire women, inspire wives, husbands to look at their relationships, look at their, you know, how they, they treat themselves differently. Yeah. You know, it's interesting um, because I, I heard this great quote from Jay Shetty, who I look at like a spiritual leader to me. I He's love Jay Shetty. Hero. Me too. Just obsessed. I just saw him live. If you have a chance to see him live, it's a transformative experience. It's just incredible. But, you know, he said um, how, uh, you know, a lot of times we get confused um, about valuing ourselves. Right. And like we really cannot be the and I'm just going to sum up his words. We can't be of value to somebody else until we value ourselves, right? And and we put, unfortunately, a lot of times we put so much stake in who we are in other people. So uh, I, fe I feel like our journey on sobriety is allowing ourselves to feel valuable so then we can share that with others. Um, and you've been able to do that. Um, you know, I don't have too much time left with you, but I do want to ask you some stuff about Summer House. And of course, Lindsay and you, and that was my, uh, my transition to that is like, you've been able to be such a great partner to Lindsay and vice versa. <clears throat> and she even went sober for a period of time with you. So what has it been like? And not only are you <laughs> give you so much credit and it's probably like crazy, but like, you realize that you're in love with one of your best friends. You guys start dating. In the midst of all of this, you're also getting sober. So how have you been able to find a balance of like making sure that you're not only putting prioritizing yourself, right? But then also taking into consideration her feelings, but also keeping a, a, a good program in the midst of all of that. Yeah, I mean, I think what really helped me and Lindsay is the fact that we've had a foundation of friendship for many years prior to, to, you know, even having some of these romantic feelings. Um, she's been someone who's always been incredibly supportive of just me as an individual. She's been there for me during the loss of my brother. She's been there, you know, in some of my dark, dark moments. And she's also had shown me tough love too. So, you know, when I really made that commitment to get sober, she was one of the first people that I told and was, you know, proud to share that. And she was so happy for me. Um, but, you know, I also was having incredibly strong feelings of, for her, you know, seven, eight months into my sobriety. And I think I had felt really strong in the fact that I had tried sobriety before. And, you know, it had been like a long, it wasn't just like, you know, I'd been sober for eight months. I've been trying almost for two years. But I, I found myself in this amazing feeling of relationship with Lindsay and kind of navigating our friendship. And it just, it felt right, but it, it took a lot of communication. You know, I had expressed to her when we first started dating that, hey, like this is, the holidays are coming up. It's going to be hard. I, you know, I want to talk to you about it. And she was like, listen, I'll, I'll get sober with you for these next, you know, few months, which was amazing. You know, and it was incredible to see even just the benefits for her only. Like, I mean, her skin was better. She slept better. She felt a lot of, you know, benefit to it. And I, I was like so proud to, to, to for her to see that too. Um, but it, it's a constant communication. I think me being open about what I'm comfortable with. Um, I've met a lot of people who the, either the husband or the wife is sober and the other one still drinks, but ultimately it's, it, it's, it's, there are challenges too. I mean, I'm not trying to give ultimatums or make it seem like, you know, this is what has to go down. I just hope at the end of the day, no matter who you're in a relationship with, they can have a more honest relationship with alcohol or just be more 
understanding of the challenges you have. But it, it is hard because I do feel like I have a lot of baggage. So anybody who's trying to enter a relationship after a year of sobriety or maybe eight or nine months, it's it's scary because you're asking someone to take on all of this shit that you have. And dating a guy who's an addict and an alcoholic like me, is it's a lot. So I have a lot of gratitude and grace and respect and just love for what Lindsay's done because what she's been able to embrace and take on is not for the faint of heart. So yeah. I look at it like that too. Um, I'm just so lucky to have a supportive partner. Yeah. Someone who really is, you know, looking out for the best for me. You know what I find interesting about that too, is you guys are kind of in the same, in the same boat as far as you're both in the spotlight. So it's interesting that you guys are not only on that journey together, but then she's, you know, get, showing you the love that she can through your sobriety journey. Uh, and now you guys are going to spend the rest of your life together and she's going to be along for that ride with you for the rest of your life. And that's so it says it speaks a lot about the person that she is um, in a lot of ways. And I, uh, I find that very commendable to, uh, to, to that and knowing that I'll she make sure, I make sure I tell her that because yes. it's something I probably don't say enough to her, but it's something that's very true and she deserves a lot of credit and support for how she's navigated this. And it's not easy because, you know, she has been very open and understanding of some of the challenges I have and also willing to look at her own life and try and understand how she could be you know, a better support to me, which is not, it's not easy. So. Yeah. I think growth overall kind of helps us in every way, shape or form, you know, and whatever package and world that comes in, I'm sure that you, uh, you find, you guys are finding common ground and I'm, I'm so happy to see you both very happy because you deserve nothing but happiness. How, um, how are wedding plans? What's happening? Uh, they're moving along. Um, we are, we did lock down a venue. Okay, great. Um, we're just waiting on some of the final things so we can actually start sending out save the dates. Um, but we're looking at the fall of 2023. So okay. not that far from now. Soon uh, enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah, coming around the corner. But it's, yeah, wedding planning has been kind of a pain in the, pain in the butt a little bit. Um, it's, you know, it's just the nature of the beast. There's a lot of different criteria and things that we've been looking for. Um, you know, just dealing with the, the COVID stuff is still kind of permeating. Just there's been so much backlog of weddings and people wanting to get married. So there's just, it's, you've really had to plan ahead. And we were really hoping to get married after this, you know, coming summer of 2023. And it's just, yeah, you, you got to get on things right now because people are jumping on venues and jumping on, you know, opportunities left and right. Cause there's just been so many people that waited to get married because of all of the, the pandemic. Yeah. And so do you guys have interest on doing this on the show or do you think you're going to keep it, you know, kind of safe to yourself? Like what, I mean, where are you at with that? I, I think Lindsay and I have always been very open to having, you know, the production be there. If, if they're willing to be there, we, I, I would embrace that. I know Lindsay would too, to think that, you know, her and I've been on the show since day one seven seasons ago and for them to not see a piece of our wedding seems a little crazy but you know i'm not trying to put count our chickens before they hatch um it would be amazing for the audience to be a part of that with us and see what you know our whole special day um but if, it, if for whatever reason it doesn't work out it doesn't work out you know that's not gonna butt hurt me but 
I'm very optimistic that they'll be there. It just, it's not necessarily my decision. <laughs> sure, um, sure, sure. So you're, you're going to see that on this season that's currently airing, you're going to see, you know, more about our engagement. You'll see me go ring shopping. Uh, you're going to get a little taste of lo- the lead up to the engagement. And then you obviously will hopefully see the big, the big moment. Yeah. You so know once, I, once I think uh, that comes out, I think people are going to really start asking more about the wedding. So we still have a little bit of time. <laughs> the, right. the audience hasn't fully seen all the engagement stuff just yet. So it did, because I will say like, as a person outside looking in, it was like, we, we found out that you guys were dating and then like, it was just, it felt like instantly all of a sudden you guys were engaged. And I mean, obviously all very happy for you guys. Cause I think secretly most fans of the show were rooting for this. And I'm sure you probably hear that a lot. Um, but <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's, I can still vividly remember times when Lindsay and I would hang out as friends and we'd go to an event or we'd be at dinner or would just be me and her walking around somewhere. And just, again, we were friends, nothing else going on. And people literally always thought we were together. Oh, like you're, you guys are a beautiful couple and you're, you know, your girlfriend's gorgeous and like all these things. So it was always something that had been kind of in our environment. Um, but yeah, people have been so excited for us. And we, you know, you kind of see a tidbit of our beginnings of our romance on the end of last season of season six, but you know, when we kind of after Kyle and Amanda's wedding is when things really started to kind of speed up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I when you know, you know, and I was, you know, she's like I said, we the bond I have with her as friends. I mean, for six, seven years, I've been very, very close with her, closer with her than, you know, pretty much anybody else on the show other than Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's been awesome because, you know, she's someone I've been so comfortable with and we have an amazing bond and friendship. But now, I'll, now, by the way, like we have like a love and attraction for each other. So it's been, it's been awesome. It's been in the making and the higher power is working in your, in your favor there, right? I'd like to think so. <laughs> That's I'd right. Like to think so. You know, I, you, you did talk a little bit about Kyle and I've been, I've been a fan of the show since it started. And I probably have asked truly too many embarrassingly times. I'm like, I want to work on that show so bad. <laughs> but, you know, I've seen you guys and your friendship grow and obviously it's had its ups and downs and we are following that and seeing that fall out on the season. Now, you know, it's been public, the news is public that you are not actively working with Loverboy anymore, that you have remained um, investor in the brand. I just kind of wanted to pick your brain and you can share what you want to share. I don't want to press you too sure. much on it, but, you know, obviously you guys have had a very up and down relationship. So now that that news is out and also obviously his wife discussing that they kind of always knew that you guys that you may step away from the brand at some point how are you feeling i guess is the question if that made any yeah. sense <laughs> yeah. no i mean listen it's it's been tough i'm not gonna lie you know i think whenever you relive our summers it's not easy obviously you know i was there last summer I, there was definitely you know some tension coming into the summer um you know, again, I, I'll stand by everything I've said before, which is I'm I'm really proud of everything I've done with Kyle and Amanda at the business. And, you know, I don't think any of us really could have predicted where it started and where it is now. I mean, it's, it's blown up. It's, it's a serious business and serious company. Um, and with that, you know, came a lot of gro- growing pains and ups and downs. And, you know, I think as I made lifestyle changes and the business was going in a direction, it just was becoming deep down inside, like, is this the best fit for me? What do I want to do moving forward? Questioning some of the, the aspects of my role. Um, 
you know, I, I wish maybe I would have handled it a little bit better as far as broaching it with Kyle. We did talk before the summer, but to have it play out a little bit in the house, obviously is, is tough when you get everybody else involved and a lot of tension and frustration. It's, it was, I'm, I'm sorry that it went down that way. And I also will stand by this. I mean, Kyle and Amanda have been very gracious towards me, you know, in my early days at the business and had some ups and downs, which quite frankly, as they said, they could have fired me for. Um, but I was able to always overcome and be really honest and try and repay them with hard work and bringing a lot of value to the company. So very proud of it. I mean, as you can see, I still got the Loverboy cans on display. Like, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done. But I think at the end of the day, like working with friends is really hard. Um, I ultimately wanted to find something that's more authentic to my lifestyle and being a major part of an alcohol brand as someone who doesn't drink, it just was becoming more obvious that maybe this isn't the best fit. Um, so now we're, you know, kind of on a new chapter of trying to like figure out my friendship with Kyle, which you'll see, you know, these next couple episodes, it'll play out. I think, you know, Kyle and I come to a better understanding of each other, but it's, it's still hard because I you know, certainly I'm in a relationship and the respect for Lindsay and our relationship sometimes is in, is in question coming mm -hmm. from him, which, you know, I'm, I'm optimistic we'll work through it, but yeah, like I'm, I'm still a proud investor of the business. Kyle and I, we got together last week, you know, we're trying to work through things. There's still some stuff we need to work through. And I think there's still some things from him that I'm hoping to see. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's not easy. I mean, we've, we definitely have a, a great, friendship and a bond, but there's been a lot of things that have gone on that are hard and trying to like practice a lot of compassion and empathy for mm -hmm. those things. Cause I've been very supportive of Kyle and very supportive of Amanda, you know, over the years and for it to be kind of turned, it's, it's been difficult, but you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to play the, the victim. I'm, I probably deserve some of what I've gotten, but uh, at the same time, I really needed to look at what was best for me. And I think moving on from the business just made the most sense at this point. Was it was it a mutual agreement to go public with that information? Or what did you feel like, hey, I'm in this new way of life and I just need to be transparent about this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had, le I had left the business officially right before Christmas. Um, so, you know, I we both knew as soon as the press opportunities arise for this new season, if the, the question came up, I wanted to kind of rip the Band-Aid off in the best, most polite way I could. You know, like I said, I'm very... I'm so grateful for everything that they did for me, you know, and there's a lot of people at Loverboy besides Kyle that I miss talking to and I miss working with. Um, I spent a lot of time on that business and it's amazing what we've built, but, you know, I think there's no real easy way to, to leave something when you're such a big part of it. And we're so public and we're on a show that some of this stuff is going to play out this season, which I want the audience to, to kind of get an idea of what everything was. And then, you know, they'll kind of pick up on their own that, you know, I did move on, but we, we tried to work through things. And at the end of the day, it just was best that, you know, I go focus on some other stuff. Yeah. I, I love hearing that. And, you know, we, I think as producers, you know, especially on these shows, we uh, listen, do we love the drama of it all? Sure. And I, you know, <laughs> but we, we do like to see friendships work itself out and that's what makes these shows successful. We see the ups, we see the down, we see the good, we see the ugly and, you know, I, I hope that you guys are able to find your way and whatever that is. And then also, I hope that as your brother in sobriety, I hope that you also remember to to do what's best for you, because that is ultimately our goal. Right. We got to We got to make sure we're taking care of ourselves, you know. Yeah, which is which is hard, a hard thing to do sometimes. And it's like, 
you know, set, setting, setting boundaries for yourself and really prioritizing what's best for you daily is it's a powerful thing. Um, so I, you know, I feel very lucky to be able to kind of tell that story. And I think even on tonight's episode, you'll, you'll see me kind of in a difficult position and uncomfortable spot, which is, I think very relatable to someone who's going to watch who doesn't drink, but they're around friends who've been drinking all day and there's an argument and it's kind of like, do I insert myself or do I kind of take some space from it and kind of deal with it in a, in a, a different kind of way versus engaging and yelling and screaming or engaging in a fight? Yeah. Um, so I think there's more that are people are going to witness this season that, you know, ultimately I hope can help. I'm going to learn. I, I literally learn watching it back myself about my behavior and my choices and my decision-making. So I, I'm hoping to grow from it too, even more than I've already have. You know, it's interesting because when you look at it in hindsight, there's so much more Bravo uh, drama going on right now. So I can imagine like, that. Like what? Oh, I can't imagine what I'm talking about. <laughs> haven't heard any, haven't yeah. heard any other drama going on at all. Nothing's happening in the Bravo world at all. <laughs> in hindsight, you guys got it easy at this point. <laughs> I know. Like we, yeah. we we're, we're like literally like no one, everybody forgot about Summer House for the last two weeks. <laughs> no, they're still watching. Your numbers are great. So keep, so keep <laughs> it up i'm excited to see how the rest of the season unfolds i want i i always do a little like la, uh rapid fire as i wrap things up so i'm going to throw out a couple of things and you just tell me the first thing that comes to mind okay got it one of my friends who's a really big fan of the show wanted me to ask you would you ever run a marathon she's running the new york city marathon so she was like ask him if you'd ever run a marathon I, that's a great question it's something that just came up last week i i, I met a, fr a sober friend who's run 10 marathons and I was like blown away. I've never, I'm not a big long distance runner. Um, so I've thought about it, but I never actually put anything in place to to do so. But it's something that's I've thought about, but never. Yeah, I mean, the New York City Marathon is popular enough. You could do that. I mean, that's a lot. 28, 26 miles <laughs> or 27 miles. I mean, no big deal. That's a lot. I'm six foot five. I got a lot of legs here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm six foot three. So I understand. Trust. <laughs> what is your uh, favorite song right now? Favorite song. Um, hold on. I'll pull it up. <laughs> uh, I really like it's a country song by Nate Smith called Wreckage. Okay. All right. I haven't heard it. I will listen to it following this. Good track. Is... And then I we were also, Lindsay and I were in Jamaica recently, and I love Bob Marley. So wait, Waiting in Vain is another great classic Bob Marley song I love. Amazing. I mean, that's that's the vibe for Jamaica for sure. Yeah. What uh, what is your go to snack? Go to snack is raw cashews. So like okay. not not seat not salt not salted or or when anything roasted anything just raw cashews. Do they have? Is it a dramatic difference in taste? Yeah, they taste pretty bland, but I actually like the taste of it, and they're healthier for you. Um, okay. Lindsay does not like my raw cashews. She likes the salted almonds and roasted almonds. <laughs> but I, I'm a big snacker, so nut, nuts in general, I, I really love. Okay, uh, boxers or briefs? Briefs. Box. No, wait. So sorry, boxer briefs. Okay. Um, okay, I, I'm the same. I get it. Uh, and one unexpected thing about you that people wouldn't expect. One ex. Um, I'm kind of a dork. Okay. Um, you know, just about music or film. You know, I like to read. 
you know, maybe a little bit more of a, a nerd or a dork than people might, you know, I, I have a lot of uh, useless knowledge. I'm pretty good at Jeopardy. Um, things like that. I, I've got a lot of interesting information about music or film or pop culture, uh, sports, things like that. But I, I don't think most people would know that about me. They, they, I think they think I'm just some, you know, kind of former party boy, fuck boy, idiot, but I can be a little bit more of a, a dork and a nerd and a bookworm. You got to peel back those layers, right? Of that onion exactly. we always say, that not, reference. <laughs> it's not just this one dimensional, not this one dimensional guy. That's right. Is there anything else that uh, you'd love to say about kind of where you're at in life and where you feel like you're headed um, to sum up um, Carl in the best possible way? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, listen, I'm definitely in this, you know, transition period from lover boy into new things. Um, there's a, there's a lot more to come, I think, for me individually. And my big thing this year is going to be, again, giving back. So really being more vocal about my sobriety story. There are going to be some cool things to expect down the line um, that I think your audience will like to know more about, but I, I can't really share too much. And I hate when reality people do this, like <laughs> coming soon. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it is an obvious thing for me to really lean into addiction and sobriety and mental health and grieving. Uh, and that's what I'm going to do. So stand by for some more things for me down the line um, that I'll be doing. But, you know, just again, I'm so appreciative of, of you and your audience and your your time to be able to kind of share a little bit about what I've been doing and hopefully help others and kind of continue to to be better human beings. Listen, that's all we can do, right? <laughs> and it all, they say progress, not perfection in the program. And I and yep. that's just a great rule in life in general. And I thank you for your time. Um, it has been uh, it's been wonderful to be able to chat with somebody openly about this and hopefully you know, we're, we're not striving to be the presidents of AA or, or vice president <laughs> and president, but we no. certainly um, are here to share our stories in whatever way that we can impact and uh, and help create some change, right? And hey, listen, you want to come back on the show later on down the line and talk some more about some stuff? Um, I would be thrilled to have you back on. Okay. Yeah, let's do that again sometime. Let's do it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Again, guys, you can catch Carl on Summerhouse on Bravo. You're on Monday nights, right? Monday nights at 9 p.m. Great. Every Monday watch. night until That's probably right. May or June at this point. Yeah, so. and then you can, uh, of course, watch the next day on Peacock. Thank you again, Carl. Have a great night, Thanks, buddy. buddy. I All appreciate right, thanks, you. Guys. All right, take, take care. care. Thanks for Bye. listening to another episode of What's Up, Woody. You can listen to past episodes on your favorite podcast streaming platform. Like, rate, and subscribe now. Or by visiting whatsupwoody.com. Follow us on social media. Instagram is at Woody Woodbeck and what's underscore up Woody. And on Twitter, it's at what's up Woody one Have an amazing day and be kind to one another.